Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Butterfly Effect podcast. This is Millie Murillo. I am here with my co-host, Ashley Torrent. Hi, Ashley. Hi. We are here today to discuss the fascination with difficulty. It's what you're connected to. Are you connected to your fearful thoughts and focused on what's happening on the outside world that you can't control? Or are you focused on love? Saturn and Capricorn are the energies of mastering something. Those energies are not about immediate gratification. This is Amazon lifestyle that we have all become very, very accustomed to. We'll get into what we mean by all of that in a second, but I want to preface by saying that the reason I brought this topic to Ashley is that on the day that we're recording the episode, the moon is transiting the sign of Capricorn. And so one of the biggest shadow attributes, if you will, of Capricorn energy is in fact the fascination with making life difficult. And what that means is that there is perhaps an inherent belief system in the energy that if something isn't hard, then it's not worth it. If something, if a relationship, if life isn't hard, then that means that we haven't earned that which we are somehow waiting for, working for. And as a Capricorn myself, it is one of the biggest, biggest lessons of my life. It's still one of the hurdles that I have to be quite mindful of this belief system that life has to be hard, that that I have to work really, really hard to have the life that I want, to have a life that I enjoy, to really earn my stuff in order to feel enough. And it wasn't until my inner journey, it wasn't until I started really the inner work that I began delving into that belief system. And this was, I don't know, this was about seven or eight years ago now, And it's something that while I'm much more aware of it because of the awareness that I now have that I didn't have before, I realize how tricky it is and how it can sneak into different parts of my life and the nuances and the complexity of this notion of things having to be difficult. I'll let Ashley say a few words about this and and what your take on it is. As I'm sitting here and and listening to your story and I've I noticed that I've moved so far away from accepting what's difficult, and I'm trying in this moment to remember what that was like. But I remember a time, and I think I still do buy into this, that I'm good enough, that I must be doing more. You know, as far as like life having to be hard, I feel like I've worked through that, but there still is a part of me that just says, you're not doing enough. You have to be doing more. That if you're feeling peaceful or resting, that you should be doing something else. And when you look at the outside world, everyone's always doing something. You know, when we have access to other people's lives, we're like voyeurs in other people's lives with social media and stuff. And it feels like no one ever sleeps. Right. You could almost feel guilty for sleeping or taking a day off. Oh, my God. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think two things. One is I've really moved away from trying to make my life hard and trying to assess ways that can make it easier. And there is this still this belief that I personally need to be doing more so that I'm worthy, so that I'm valuable, so that I'm good enough. So there's this kind of this balance of how can I make my life as a family easier? And I try to focus on that. But there's still this voice, this egoic voice that screams at me all the time, like, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. And I have to quiet her down often. Right. It's so interesting because... 
for a long time. And and look, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about my story because I think again, it's Capricorn energy, it really resonates with me. And I've I've had a lot of hurdles to overcome with this energy. Interestingly enough, one of the things that Capricorn energy has to keep in mind is that it has to make joy a priority. Because if that energy doesn't intentionally make rest and joy a priority, the inevitable result is that it will collapse either you know, physically through exhaustion or illness or a mental collapse, a mental breakdown. And I can't tell you how many times throughout my life I have been in that space. And I remember this even from when I was a kid. I would be involved in several extracurricular activities. Mm. I would work to get straight A's all the time. There was this void that, at least I look at it now, there was a void that I couldn't fill. And it usually felt fulfilled when I got to that point of exhaustion. Of course, when you're a kid, when you're a teenager, you don't really understand the concept of exhaustion. You know, you can go on and on and on. But as I got older, I realized, well, that's not possible. And I found myself in my former job, for instance, being in a space that I hated being in the legal field anymore. And I was still there because I had bought into the idea that if you hate your job, well, too bad, so sad. <laughs> it's not everybody loves their job. Not everybody's supposed to love what they do. And sometimes life is just difficult in that way and you just have to suck it up. I had really bought into that. Why? Because it gave me this sense of safety because I had, you know, the 401k and the health insurance and all of the things that I felt gave me safety and security and made me responsible. All the while, inside of me, every single day, I hated going into that space that just didn't resonate with my heart. But somewhere inside of me, I said, you know, sometimes life is just hard and I just have to suck it up. Mm. And nothing, nothing around me, not family, definitely not the work environment that I was in, was saying, well, you're making your life harder than it needs to be. If you don't like this job, if you don't like this career, well, you just don't have to do it. And I'm grateful for the fact that I was curious enough to lean into other things that did in fact teach me that. So we do this, we do this. As a collective, we do this. We stay in situations, in places, in relationships where we clearly see that we're miserable, yes. but somehow we're led to believe that being miserable is just a part of life. It's so interesting as you're talking because I'm realizing that my fascination with what's difficult was much more within myself, very personal with my own struggles. So mm -hmm. I grew up in a situation where I had no control. I mean, no control over what clothes I wore, my hair, just nothing. There was no freedom. My mother controlled everything about me, very invasive and brainwashed me and terrorized me. And so when I finally got out of that situation, I mean, freedom has always been important to me. So when I hear what you're saying is I recognize anytime I got uncomfortable, I just left. Yeah. 
I left. I moved across the world. I moved to different places. I walked out of a job. If something didn't feel good in my environment, I would just leave, blow relationships up, whatever. I mean, I found peace in being a grill cook, as I was telling Millie earlier. I was making sandwiches, and I loved that because it was just I made sandwiches and I could go home. And it was this work that I found I could connect with people. But when that was uncomfortable, I could leave that too. But what I'm noticing about this topic is my fascination with what's difficult was internal. My fascination with my struggle and being a victim of my circumstances. Even though I could leave my outside environment, I couldn't leave myself. And that's where I found myself just stewing in my own victimhood. And I think there was a time I was so stuck, you know, we can compare suffering and wondering, did I have the worst story? And I quickly now know I don't have the worst story. We all have terrible stories because humans are capable of terrible, terrible things. So I think this is an interesting topic because I think people get stuck in the fascination with their story that's difficult. And I think people get stuck in situations that they don't know how to leave because they think life should be hard. Does that make sense? Absolutely, 100%. And I think that there's a difference, right? Because a couple of episodes ago, two episodes ago, I think we talked about pain and the beauty Mm. that is pain, the wisdom that can come from pain and how it's inevitable in our lifetime, right? Yes. Now, the difference between that and creating a bandwidth between us, creating creating the bandwidth within us and creating the space within us to actually be able to hold that pain and allow that pain to do what it's meant to do, to wake us up to what it's meant to address Mm -hmm. within us. Mm -hmm. That is different then staying in, like you said, this, this victimhood story, this victimhood mentality. Mm-hmm. I realize how powerful that story can be. And in a way, it can be really comfortable yes. to stay in that story. It's predictable. Exactly. There is something about staying in that story, whatever that story is for all of us, that keeps us from having to step up into our lives, to step into fully into our lives and respond, respond in a way that is for our best in the long run. Because it means that we have to take full responsibility. It means that we have to do things differently. And sometimes when we don't know what we have to do differently, it's really intimidating. It it really is. I, I think there's As weird as this may sound, there's power in saying no. Sounds so counterintuitive, but there's power in hopelessness and nothing will change in despair because I think hope is terrifying. I think people are terrified of being disappointed, of trying. And I think when you felt beat down your whole life or you haven't felt loved and cared for and supported and nurtured, and then You're being asked to find that within yourself to choose something differently and to hope that this time it will be different. I think that's terrifying. I've seen a lot of people get stuck in this place of this is my story. And we mentioned this in the first episode about pain, but there is something powerful about acknowledging your story, acknowledging your circumstances, owning it and and coming into the present moment with it and feeling validated that you can have the feelings that it was terrible and it's been awful. But there's such an important moment that that story begins to steal your power. Mm -hmm. It becomes to suck your life energy away. And that story can transform you or it can destroy you. You know, I was telling Millie, I've been a therapist for like 15 years now. I have witnessed so many different people of different demographics, different ages, different minority groups, different sexualities, and different genders, just the spectrum of human beings. 
and I am always shocked at the stories I hear. I, 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 not one is the same. Not one is technically easier than the other. They're all pretty tragic stories. Mm-hmm. Who they are on the outside and how they deal with it is different. But, you know, suffering can't be measured or compared. So how someone deals with one situation is very different how someone deals with another situation. And so the point is, is that we all have a story. But what are we going to do with that story? How are we going to allow that story to transform us? What are we going to allow it to teach us? What are we going to take from it? What are we going to do with it to change the world? Right. Or are we going to fall victim to it and fall into despair and hopelessness? Right. And so I think it's interesting that you and I were both called yesterday by spirit to explore Viktor Frankl's book, The Meaning of Life. What he talks about is finding meaning, finding purpose. And it's the thing that gives us hope. It's our motivation to continue. And without meaning and purpose, we're lost. Right. What's really interesting is We tend to look for meaning and purpose outside of us when essentially the difficult circumstances and and the pain that can come from it, it's it's like the universe's signal saying, look within, look within. Again, because we're so tied to this, that life has to be hard in some way that we just don't know to do that. You mentioned something not too long ago how this country is founded on the pursuit of happiness, Mm. right? And we are constantly pursuing some kind of happiness as if we can't find it in the present moment. We're constantly in pursuit of the next thing, of something else, of something better, constantly chasing, essentially. When is it ever enough? It's not. Right. Right. It's it's really not. You know, I've I've sat with that, the pursuit within myself of just how we've all bought into this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's everywhere, mm-hmm. and it's what keeps us buying into fear. You know, we're sold fear, and so you need this, or you won't be attractive. You need this, or you won't be viable or valuable. Right. We're always chasing something, and happiness is not found on the outside. We're always trying to accumulate something. Right. You know, that just keeps us chasing and out of the present moment and we'll never be happy. We're just accumulating stuff and we're just becoming more disconnected and we're moving farther away from our happiness. Mm -hmm. I think that pursuit actually takes us out of the moment and causes us to check out. Oh, and it also gives us passive dopamine, Mm -hmm. which I love. Gosh, I wish I knew the guy that did a study on this, but passive and active dopamine. So we get passive dopamine from scrolling through social media, when we see something that gives our brain a little hit. When we're watching TV, we get dopamine from things that get us excited. We get dopamine from being able to order whatever kind of food and having it delivered to our door from video games. It's this constant passive dopamine from the likes. And when we don't have that post-passive dopamine, it affects how we feel. We become lonely or sad or what's happening. And we've moved away from active dopamine, which is Dopamine that occurs through creating something, through something active that you're doing, like growing your own food or exercise or connecting with someone, doing purposeful work, that gives you active dopamine. And that kind of active dopamine feeds you and feeds your brain in a completely different way. It doesn't leave you feeling like there's not enough or in despair, like the passive dopamine does. And that's so addictive. I mean, you see people who, I know clients who've wanted to move their bodies, wanted to make life changes, but they can just sit on the couch and flick through Netflix 
And they've received so much passive dopamine that they feel like they've actually done something on an unconscious level that day. Right. And what even breaks my heart more is when, and I feel the need to say this about the passive dopamine, but also the chemical effects of when we say we're checking out and we're scrolling through social media and we say, oh, I'm just checking out. No, no, sorry, that's bullshit. Because (laughs) your body and your brain are paying attention to everything you're seeing. And everything you see gives you a hit of something, whether it's jealousy, joy, love, comparison, anger, insecurity. You check out for 15 minutes, I wonder how you really feel if you're paying attention. It's not just dopamine you're getting. I think you're getting suffering at the same time. Mm -hmm. And for highly sensitive people like me, I get off that train and my brains are scrambled. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to notice if we're pursuing happiness outside of ourselves and what are we actually using to get those dopamine hits? Is it the kind of dopamine we really want? Right. Is it the kind of happiness in quotes that we're really seeking? And is it meaningful? Right. And one thing that I noticed with with the examples that you gave is that instant hit, there is no space for delayed gratification. Whereas anything, anything that requires that we are present in our creativity, growing our own food, creating and building intimacy in a relationship, all of those things require that we are patient with the process. They require time, you know? That's such a good point. We don't know how to wait. Right. We can't even stand in line anymore without being distracted. Seriously, we can't. We can't. Our capacity, our attention span has shortened so much. (laughs) So, so much. And so when we come out of that space, we expect life to then work in the same way. We expect life to then just immediately something change, something happen. When we go to coaches, when we go to therapists, we want them to give us steps one through 10, because when we follow steps one through 10, then our life is going to be fixed. Right. It's bizarre. It's a little bizarre. It should actually be called the United States of America, the place of instant gratification. We really, we're losing that connection to creating beautiful things with people and otherwise with ourselves. Right. Whenever we lose touch with a sense of humanity, with a sense of humanity within us, when we forget that we are beings, something happens where we feel like we lose our way. That's when we feel lost. That's when everything turns upside down. That's when we are really just in a shitty place. And it isn't until we go within and reconnect with ourselves that all of the things that we're afraid of, we're not going to have, really don't matter. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. The reason, one of the biggest reasons why I started, you know, the work, if you will, why I went on this internal journey, among other reasons, one of them being was that at the time, I was just tired of having a string of failed relationships, one after another, after another. And after a while, every scenario started looking the same. We met, things moved really quickly. And then obviously things just fell off. Mm -hmm. We met, things moved really quickly, and then things fell off. And it wasn't like things were falling off in a healthy way. A lot of times it was in a really negative, nasty way. There was a lot of chaos in that. 
And so what I would do was that I would just go to my girlfriends, obviously complain, he is this, he's that, all men are trash, all men are this, all men are that. Until I finally paused and I had to really check myself. It really clicked. I am the common denominator in all of these scenarios. Inevitably, the question is, why do I keep attracting this? Why does this keep happening to me? But I had to go deeper. What is my fascination with having difficult relationships? What is my fascination with chaos? And immediately, all of that, all of the stuff turned around on me. And in that space, there was resistance. There was resistance. No, it's not me. I'm a good person. Mm. I know that I'm good and that I'm nice and that I do all the things right. They're the assholes. They're the bad guy. Mm. I had to just stop that. And I had to somehow be willing to say, I need to look at this from a different perspective because I'm the one accepting this chaos and this difficulty into my life. Obviously that led to a lot of different things. And then when you, when I finally got to a space where I was able to have a healthy relationship with a kind partner, with a partner who, even when we fight, he never crosses that line. He always has the utmost respect. I started getting bored. Mm. Isn't it interesting how we do that? Yeah. That we begin to wonder, something's happening. This is boring. Mm. I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm. My current partner and I have been together for five and a half years. And I'll be very honest that for the first year, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. I kept waiting for something to happen. I kept waiting for him to turn into this person that he obviously isn't. And in that space, I obviously picked fights or I did things to incite that difficulty that somehow I learned was okay to have in my life. How many times do we do that in other ways in our life? Oh, we do it over and over again. And I think a couple of things are happening. I think one, many of us grew up in environments that were chaotic and dramatic. Our nervous systems became addicted to the chemicals that are released from trauma, drama, chaos. Mm -hmm. And even though we can intellectually say, I don't want that, it's all we know. You see people repeat those same cycles and it's because they're being pulled into the love they know, not the love they really want. Right. And it takes someone looking and stepping back mm -hmm. and asking, is this really what I want? Is there anything else? I keep getting this love over and over again, like you're saying. I, I know I grew up with addicts, and so I kept choosing either recovering addicts who were struggling in other ways or ad active addicts. And I was just like, I keep choosing the same types of people. The details are different. They look different. Right. But underneath is the same experience I had as a kid that... You know, when you're living with an addict, you are not the primary relationship, the substance or whatever they're addicted to is. So I think one of the things that's happening, the reason we're pulled towards this drama and this chaos is because we don't realize that we choose the love we know. And then our culture feeds on this with fear. And if you look at our media, mm -hmm. I mean, I was addicted to Grey's Anatomy and gosh, I appreciate anybody that still loves it. And I still love the story and everything, but I remember... <laughs> 
when Derek and Meredith got together, I was like, oh, there was no tension. There was no push-pull. And when you notice in like media and shows, as soon as that tension falls away, you get kind of bored because we enjoy that push-pull. We enjoy the trauma. We enjoy the recovery, the getting back together, the reconnection, because we don't know what it's like to have a stable, loving connection. We don't know what it's like to have true intimacy. Mm-hmm. We don't know what it's like to have integrity in a relationship. And our media, I think, plays off of that. And unfortunately, it's gotten so bad that relationships have become a cliche. You and I were talking about, for those of us that have good relationships, which are not perfect by any means, Lord knows Lair and I have been through our own Mm -hmm. stuff for sure. Mm -hmm. We hesitate to talk about it because it's not the majority. Because people don't believe it, you know? I think men have such a bad rap for being scoundrels and unfaithful and liars or whatever and women have a bad rap for being too intense and emotional and too sensitive and we just kind of destroyed the idea that relationships can be precious also you know something we talked about is are we allowed to be happy are we allowed to talk about being happy it's not very popular so i'll I'll let you (laughs) say whatever you want to say yeah yeah i i mean i have felt resistance in in certain groups and certain crowds when i speak highly of my partner and <laughs> and that overall we're pretty happy you know of course like any other couple on the planet we've been through our stuff we we go through our phases and we have to have very honest conversations and we have to move past certain you know certain comfort zones in order to have a healthy relationship we have to grow It comes with all of that. But I have noticed how if I don't speak of, which I don't because I think that that it's private and it's precious, I don't go and talk about the things that we fight about because it's nobody's business. But I've said something like, oh, he did, you know, X, Y, Z. That was so thoughtful of him. You know, it's like, oh, well, what does he want? Well, what is he, what is he expecting? Nothing. (laughs) It's exactly what you're saying. There is this fascination with chaos, with the drama, with things just not going well. And I think that it has a lot to do with the way that our nervous systems are wired, the way that our nervous systems responds. There is something foreign to the nervous system about peace and ease and calm. Absolutely. (laughs) We say we want it, but we don't know what to do with it. So for people who've been in a lot of chaos, you know, clients, I'm like, when it comes, be patient with yourself because it's going to be really uncomfortable. So then how do we cultivate, how do we create a relationship with joy? How do we genuinely create a relationship with joy where we're not necessarily expecting everything to be, you know, puppy dogs and ice cream and happiness all the time? where we can hold both difficult circumstances with the intention to hopefully tap into our internal power in order to change where we are and still be joyful at the fact that we are alive, that we get to move, that we get to put on our own clothes and brush our own hair and brush our own teeth and that we're able to bathe ourselves. I bring up that example because my mother was a caretaker forever. Sometimes she still does that work. So she worked in convalescent homes my entire childhood. So I would go to to work with her sometimes and I would watch her bathe these people, 
put their clothes on them, feed them, you know, do everything for them because they couldn't. Something happened as a child in my head where I said, it's really important to be healthy because if we're not, then we lose the inability to take care of ourselves. And as an adult, I guess that that somehow stuck with me because as an adult, when I am able to work out or go for a walk or feel the sun that might hit my skin and, and give me that warm feeling, there's a lot of gratitude and joy in that. And there can be a lot of other things happening in my life, but it's these moments that I have learned and I have been guided to, to learn how to hold them with a lot of love and, and not take them for granted. I think we take our human life for granted so often. And I wonder what it would be like if we were fascinated with love and joy. Mm-hmm. You know, we were speaking of the other day how calm good days are like a blip on the screen to a lot of people. But the bad days we talk about, we talk to our partners about them, we talk to our friends about them. They're what we, you know, sometimes people will come to therapy and they'll be like, I'm having a great day. I have no idea what to talk about. <laughs> and I just raise my hands in the air and I'm like, yes, let's talk about that. I want to celebrate your joy. Tell me everything that feels good. Because that on a cellular level, the body hears that, the nervous system hears that we're making space for something that feels different. It's by titrating our nervous system to be with joy and peace and calm. I think one of the ways we do this is by protecting our psyches and our nervous systems from fear and negativity. Mm-hmm. People will say to me, well, you don't watch the news. You have your head in the sand. Now, I have a general idea of what's happening. But if I'm honest, the details are different today, but it's all the same shit show, right? Mm-hmm. It's all the same shit show. And I care very much about what's happening, but what I know is that my body, as sensitive as it is, and my psyche and my heart will get bogged down by what's happening. And then I can't do my work. And I have a responsibility to show up with an open heart, to show up with presence, and as healthy as I can to each person I meet, either as a therapist or as a medium. Because my hope is that the good work I do affects their life. And they take that experience of love and presence into their family, their work, their relationship. So to me, watching the news and getting bogged down by fear, or I can protect my psyche and show up in love and promote love. That to me is energy in the right direction. So I think when we're talking about how do we turn the page in this, how do we turn it around? One of the things is looking at what we're paying attention to is looking at what we're focusing on. And if we're focusing on our suffering, we'll experience suffering. And it is true that what you think about creates feelings in your body. What you focus on creates feelings in your body. And I'm not talking about bypassing. We do have to deal with our pain and we have to process it. But deal with it. Don't focus outward and look at more pain. You know, deal with what's in front of you and then try to focus on what brings you joy and meaning and what does bring you meaning in life. When everything feels awful, what what do you want to get up in the morning for? Mm -hmm. Even if your circumstances aren't perfect. Is it that dog that you adopted that you love connecting with? Is it that child that you worked so hard to conceive and now you want to feed and you want to nurture so that they have a different experience of life? Is it that partnership that you would never had a good partnership modeled for you, but you want to cultivate and protect the intimacy you share? You know, for me today, I went on a walk and I went to my favorite state park near my house and a dolphin breached the surface and was feeding in the area. And like, I live for moments like that. Right. You know, I live for moments like walking with my dog and looking in my child's eyes. I'm a cheap date. (laughs) I don't need all the things. Right. I don't need all the things. 
But to me, I go out in nature and I find meaning. I find magic. That's, all those things inspire me. Absolutely. Because life is magical. It really is. It really goes down to a very simple question. Am I looking at this through the lens of love or fear? I remember having a lot of resistance to that question when it was first, you know, when I first learned about it. Because again, what do you mean am I choosing love or fear? Of course I'm choosing love. Of course I'm going to choose love. But fill in the blank with this whole story, you know? Right. And so again, this isn't to invalidate anyone's experience, anyone's story, because it's valid. And it, and it usually comes from a much more profound place, from really profound conditionings that we can spend lifetimes unraveling. But when we accept that that's okay, when we accept that we can hold space for that part of us, hold it, but not allow it to take over, there's something really powerful that happens in that space. I remember what really made sense to me was when I read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And she started off that book by writing about how every time that she writes a book, fear sets in. Inevitably, every single time fear comes, right? And it's those fearful limiting thoughts. Yeah. You're not good enough. You're not, in, for, in her case, you're not going to write another bestseller. This book is not going to, you know, measure up to the last one, all of these things. And the way that she posted. This was my first introduction, I feel, years ago to, to the ability to hold seemingly opposing thoughts or seemingly opposing situations. She posed it as if she was going to go on a drive. She called out fear. She said, fear, and, and I'm paraphrasing here. She said, fear, I see you. I know you're there. And we're going to go for a drive. We're going to go for a drive. And you're allowed to sit in the passenger seat, but I'm the one driving. I'm the one in charge of where we go. You're not even allowed to touch the radio. You're not allowed to take over. You're not allowed to decide the destination that I'm headed towards. But I acknowledge you and I know that you're there. When I read that for the first time, it blew my mind. Right. And this is what I tried to come back to. And this is something that, it, that I'm passionate about. This is what I love when I work with clients, because a lot of times we try to eradicate certain parts of ourselves, right? We just try to get rid of it. We don't want to listen to it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to create space for it. No. When again, in essence, this, this again, fascination with difficulty, it, it stems from so much more. And all we have to do is hold it, acknowledge it and say, okay, I know that I'm here. I know that this exists. Let me create a relationship with it to try and understand it because there's obviously something that it wants to tell me. And it isn't necessarily exactly what it's telling me. It's something else. And at the same time, I'm going to hold, on the other hand, the fact that I am loved, that there is love in my life, that there is magic in life, that I, I can open myself up to a healthy relationship. I can, in fact, live the life that I want to live and do what I love for a living. There's mm -hmm. power in that. But it's never going to come when we stay stuck in, this is the reason, this thing is the reason why I cannot live the life that I want to live. And it's so true. I mean, it's a daily practice to choose differently. It's a daily practice to choose meaning and joy and purpose. This isn't something that just changes overnight. No. I talked about, you know, being brainwashed by my mother. You know, I was trained to believe that I was a piece of shit. 
that I was ugly and monstrous. The shame I carried, I mean, it made me want to take my life at one point. You know, I obviously I chose not to. And I remember waking up one day and I just had, I just noticed I wake up every day blue. Every day, it's the same feeling, the same feeling. And one day I looked around my apartment and I was still in New York City living with Blair. And I was like, I don't live there anymore. I'm not stuck in that house anymore, but my body and brain, the parts of me hadn't caught up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a second. I have no reason to be blue. And what I realized, I was just had this chronic malaise that would follow me and just this part of my pain body that was so used to feeling Mm -hmm. that way, it didn't know anything different. So I started cultivating a practice of, you can't lie in bed in the morning, you Mm -hmm. have to get up, go get the coffee, go get your journal, Mm -hmm. you have to do something. And I would start journaling what I feel and what I would notice, all my journals are just filled with, oh my God, they're so boring and painful. But it's like, I'm scared today. I feel like shit today. I'm full of shame today. And I would just sit with it. And after 15 to 20 minutes, I would dump my pain body onto the page and I would start to feel something else rise. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of my first spiritual practice. And now, I mean, years later, it's still part of my spiritual practice is I wake up. Oh, there you are. There's the the thoughts. Yeah, I know. There you are. You want to scare me because you're afraid I'm going to do something that's going to cause annihilation. Okay. I hear you go get the coffee, go talk to my husband and my children. And then I go for a walk and then I go and I get right with myself and I touch into my heart space. I look at the sky. I look at the birds. I walk my dog and I find this joy, but it's a practice. I know it's hard. Mm -hmm. It is terribly hard. And if I don't do it every day, if I don't connect into my heart space, I've missed out. I've really missed out and I can feel the results in my head. It doesn't mean every day is as difficult as it used to be, but it's still there, whether it's background noise or foreground noise on some level, but it's a practice and it gets quieter and quieter. But what I've added is that what brings me joy and what do I focus on? I can't even watch dramatic shows anymore. I'm like, ah, when is this over? Just fast forward through anything that's like that because my the body can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is I found peace mm-hmm. and I focus on things that bring me peace. And that's been life-changing. I really love that that you mentioned the fact that this is a practice. It, it has to be. Yeah. Because be. again, this conversation stems from the fact that the moon is transiting the sign of Capricorn today. <laughs> so <laughs> the ruler of Capricorn is Saturn. And Saturn's essence is that with consistency, with maturity, and through keeping promises to ourselves, we are able to build anything, climb any mountain, and overcome any obstacle. Mm. Think about that. That is massive. Saturn and Capricorn are the energies of mastering something. Those energies are not about immediate gratification. This Amazon lifestyle that we have all become very, very accustomed to. It's not about that. So what does that tell us when we look at one piece or one slice of the 12 slices of the Zodiac? It tells us that there is a big part of our lives where we have to really show up consistently for ourselves. Saturn is a planet that reminds us that there is self-sovereignty that there is self-authority. And it is in these very practical ways, because it is also the energy of practicality and minimalism, that we can in fact come out the other side of whatever it is that we may be experiencing. But it does ask that 
we look at ourselves in a very honest way. And an honest way doesn't mean that we go into mental lashing that, you know, it, it's in that space, it's, it almost becomes irrelevant. Because if we go into the mental lashing, if we go down the downward spiral of, I should have known better, I should do better, we're still in that same cycle. Mm -hmm. At its essence, this energy is asking us, look at life exactly for what it is. Ask yourself, if you really want to be here, and if you don't, what do you know you have to do to move from this space? The human part of us wants to know, okay, well, I don't want to live here. I don't want to have this job. I don't want to do this. I'll go back to my example. I was at the job. I hated it. I was there forever. And the reason I stuck there is because it pays me a good salary. I make really good money. What am I going to do if I don't make this money? What am I going to do? I'm going to not have health insurance. All of the things, right? By the time that I was done, and when I mean done, I mean, my nervous system was fried. My, I, had, I felt like I had an ulcer in my stomach. I was in constant pain. By the time that I got to that space, I pretty much had no other choice but to leave because I knew exactly what was happening. I ended up cashing out my 401k. Hmm. All of the reasons that kept me in this miserable position for so long went out the window as soon as my body said no more. Wow. So Saturnian energy can be, we can choose. But you have to be willing to really keep that promise to yourself, to keep moving slowly and steadily, slowly and steadily, trusting, trusting that you will be supported. Or it'll come in a way where you just have no other choice. And this is so, so true. Two things I was thinking as you were talking is that we have this such a romantic idea of what change will look like or being saved. And I know I was reflecting on what I said about the journaling and just getting up and making a cup of coffee. There's nothing romantic or fantastic about that. It's not glamorous. But when you think you're a piece of shit and you can get out of bed and just make a cup of coffee and that's a sacred moment in journaling, that is, it's one of the most beautiful moments. And there are a lot of people suffering mm -hmm. with those kind of ideas and thoughts about themselves or about their life. Mm -hmm. And they don't know how to get out of it. And that's where the practice is so important. And that's when those things become sacred and meaningful. Mm -hmm. A cup of coffee with my husband outside in the morning is sacred and meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. Because that's a moment I'm not suffering. I'm actually connected and present. And it's so much farther than wherever I was. So I think it's important to adjust our idea of what sacred, meaningful, beautiful, and joyful and happy actually is. Yes. Not what we're being sold, but right. what it is. Right. You're right about if we don't choose. I remember Oprah saying this over and over again on her show. Spirit throws pebbles, it throws stones, and then it throws bricks. Yep. And if we don't choose, those bricks are coming through our window. I don't say this to be like, oh, if we don't choose right, then God or spirit or universe is coming down <laughs> to harm us. <laughs> it's messages. It's suffering that we're creating. Spirit's just trying to wake us up. Mm -hmm to you're suffering and mm -hmm. we don't even know it. Mm -hmm. So the point is, is that if we don't choose in small or big ways to remove ourselves from circumstances that create suffering, the suffering will get bigger and bigger and bigger and will take a toll on our bodies and our psyche. We'll fall into depression and severe anxiety. Yep. You know, I think so much depression and anxiety is a life 
that is not out of choice. Oh my God, yeah. It's a life unprocessed. It's a life frozen in time. Mm -hmm. You know, I was working with someone that suffers from eating disorder the other day, and I was talking to her about protecting her psyche. And I don't even think she understood that the things she was looking at were triggering her. Mm -hmm. So my point in saying that is if we're suffering with something, we have to choose. What can I do to protect my heart? What can I do to protect my psyche today? What can I do to cultivate meaning? Mm -hmm. What kind of ritual will bring me joy? And in that choice is freedom. Yeah. We're not just tied to the job or to the relationship or to the mortgage. We actually got to choose something. Mm -hmm. And in every moment of our life, we can choose. I can choose to be present. I can choose to take a breath. I can choose love or I can choose fear. It doesn't have to be these grandiose moments right. that we think. Right. And we don't have to get bogged down by the major details. I know a lot of people who've talked about leaving relationships that were unhealthy or abusive. And they would say, but I can't get divorced because I have no money or this will happen and how will we get a house and what about the kids? And I'm always like, just start with your choice and then one way to proceed. What is one thing you can do to proceed? Right. And it's amazing those people, their life has changed and evolved. Mm -hmm. So there is freedom and choice. Absolutely. There is... There is such a fear, a lot of times, to choose differently requires that in some way we start all over, especially when, when it's something really, really heavy, really grave, really significant in our lives. It requires that we start all over, either with our entire lives or with part of it. But there is something about starting all over that just scares the shit out of us. And I can understand that. I, I can understand. But after starting all over a few times in my life, I've realized, well, if I can do it once, I can do it again. And I came out all right. Mm -hmm. What that showed me, it's not so much that if I can do something once, I can do it again, which we're all capable of. What it really showed me, <laughs> and astrology helps with this, the fact of the matter that life works in cycles and that sometimes cycles come to an end. No one ever assured any kind of permanence of anything to us, not even life itself. And somehow we're stuck. We're stuck with this definition of permanence that if we let it go, then everything is just going to fall apart. And yeah, it probably will. The things that we have held up, most of them will probably fall, dismantle, and crumble. And it will probably be difficult to rebuild or to move in a different direction. But how can we remain in fear? How can we remain in that space? Just allow life to be sucked out of our existence. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It does. I mean, most of the time when people are afraid of starting over or afraid of the steps it will take or feel overwhelmed or bogged down by fear, what I often ask them they're afraid of the suffering that will come or what that will look like. And when I remind them of the suffering they're already in, it's kind of shocking to them because often the thing they're most afraid of, they're already experiencing, whether that's a lack of safety, a lack of freedom, a lack of love, a lack of connection, an environment that's dangerous or not supportive. They're already depressed. They're already anxious. It's so fascinating to me that we get used to suffering and we're afraid of change and we can become complacent or so comfortable in the discomfort mm -hmm. that the idea of change scares us when it actually brings us what we want. And, the, and this is something so important about a spiritual practice because it reminds us that 
We aren't alone. That spirit, the universe, the energy does not want our life to be hard. I've really come to understand that, yes, we make soul contracts. We come in to learn lessons. I think we choose experiences and circumstances. But this life is about remembering our essence and who we are and transforming our pain. And when we move in alignment with our soul, when we are on the path, the suffering is very different than it was. We find purpose in our life. We're supported. We connect to the right people. Can't tell you how many times I started over and landed in these places with strangers who held out their arms to me. Jobs, situations that welcomed me because I chose not to stay in a place that was destroying me, even though I was leaping into the unknown. But there was something waiting for me if I was willing to receive it. And so this is an act, change is an act of faith. What do you believe in? What is on the other side of the unknown? And Mm -hmm. could it possibly be more suffering than you're already experiencing? Most often not. Right. And I think that exactly what you just said is the way that we find solace in choosing differently. Mm -hmm. It does take practice. It does take intentional action on a daily basis to connect, to connect with ourselves, to connect with spirit, to connect with your, with your God, whatever that means to you and to trust and not just blindly trust. But when I say that, I mean, to remember who the fuck we are. And the fact of the matter is that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And if we can know that, if we can know that innately, we are in fact love and light, that we are always supported when we choose to do things differently, when we choose to come out of suffering and difficult circumstances that have simply just, they're done. Their cycle is over. There is, I always loved the quote, the universe favors the bold. And I think that the only reason that we're bold when we choose differently, when we choose to go against the status quo that tells us that we have to, you know, have a certain career and have the kid and have the the house by a certain age. When we choose to do differently, that is being bold in this reality, right? In this human reality. I think that at a spirit level, I don't think that we're necessarily being bold as much as we are exercising our freedom to have a joyful experience in this lifetime. And that is why the universe and something greater supports it because that is our power. I think it's so important if you really break down every aspect of our life. Mm-hmm. I do this often. I assess my life on a regular basis. Am I still doing meaningful work? You know. So my point being is that if we look at every narrative that we've bought into about every situation, whether it's where we live, the type of partner we've chosen, the type of work we're doing, the way we raise our kids, the types of food we eat, there's a lot of narratives that we've bought into. The 40-hour work week, mm-hmm. that you just have to work hard for your weekends. Oh my God, I just can't with that one. I'm sorry, I just can't. Lara and I decided okay. like, gosh, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, we're not working on Fridays. You know, we're Mm -hmm. not working on Fridays. And sometimes we break that if there's special circumstances, but we have not worked Fridays for years. And we've had Mm -hmm. friends like, well, you know, you'd make more money if you work Fridays. Yeah, but I'd have less freedom. I'd have less well-being. Mm -hmm. And when we made that decision, we didn't have a lot of money. But what I knew Mm -hmm. is the type of work we do, we're self-employed. We didn't take vacations for years. We actually didn't get time off. 
but we needed that four-day work week so that we could balance out having a family and our connection to each other. Often those Fridays was our time together. We don't have family that swoops in and cares for our children. It's just us. So we created a life where we could have balance and freedom and well-being. And I remember that was one of the big rules that we kind of questioned, you know, how we raise our kids. You know, when I saw my child suffering in school, I just one day I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And Lara looked mm-hmm. at me and was like, are you sure? I was like, I'm not doing this. And I took him out mid-year. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, we're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so this is important because I could have looked at those situations and been like, oh, we should work so we can have this extra money. And I know in some situations you need that, but it was a choice we made as a family to cut in other areas so we could have freedom and well-being. Right. I could have looked at the idea of taking my child out of school and, and made it sound so scary. And as people looked at me like I was crazy, bought into that, or I could have said, I know this to be the right way and we'll figure it out. Right. You know, when it came to how we feed our family, I've had to make some big choices because of food allergies and how they've affected my children. And I choose differently. And I guess my point is, is that we have to assess the things we've bought into yep. and why we're doing the things we do and ask, is this truly how we want to live our life? Because we can break the rules. I mean, Lara and I have a motto. There are no rules. There are no mm-hmm. rules. No matter what you're doing, there are no rules. What are the rules or systems that we abide by personally or as a family? I love that. I love that because I mean... I think that I, for a long time, lived my life according to all of these rules. And it wasn't until I met my partner, Carlos, who lived a life very differently than I did, that I realized, oh, okay, well, I guess I I don't have to live that life. He's a musician. He's been a musician for most of his life, whereas I, most of my adult life, lived to work and made sure that I always had a sustainable, responsible job because that is the one thing that I had to rely on. He was the opposite. He lived most of his adult life really nurturing his passion for music and his art. Mm. So that has taken him all over the world and given him experiences that just make his life so rich. And so it is through him that I learned, oh, I can, I can do life differently, you know? And at what point do we question everything that we've bought into? And I can understand that when we do get to that point and we question it and we actually realize that these things that we have bought into don't align with us, it's still scary. Yeah. Because again, it requires that we step into our lives fully, that we step into our power fully, and that we actually make something different happen. I think the piece that we miss right there, the piece that we miss right there when when we say we have to make something different happen, is that a lot of us think that we have to make it happen on our own. Mm. When essentially, when essentially it isn't about just making things happen on our own, it's about meeting the universe halfway because the universe will support us. It really will. That is a part of my spiritual practice that I have to still intentionally remind myself of. I am always supported. Spirit is my employer. That is something that you taught me. Mm. And that is something not that I just say to myself to convince myself of it because I, because I don't believe it. I do believe it. I do believe it. Because spirit and the universe have shown me time and time again how supported I am. But I am still human. 
And I hold that part of myself as lovingly as I hold the spirit part of myself. So the reason that it becomes part of my spiritual practice is because there are in fact so many distractions around us that it is very easily for us to come out of alignment. Mm -hmm. And so when we can accept that as well, yes. <laughs> when we can accept that as well, then that's how you really gain the appreciation for a spiritual practice and reminding yourself, I am supported. I don't have to do this on my own. When I ask for something, I do trust that I am on my way to receiving that, to receiving that solution, to obtaining that job that I know I need to pay my bills, to pay my rent. It is in that space that feels so scary that all of our power lies. And we have to remember that when it begins to feel scary, to hold the fear, to hold it with love, but most importantly, to remember that the fear arises because of this ridiculous conditioning that we have to pull ourselves by our bootstraps and do it all on our own. When we're never alone, we just have to remember that we're not, and we have to hold space for that truth as much as we hold space for everything else. Well, it's such a good point that we need to remember that the fear just doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. And when I'm talking about these life choices that I make, the fear doesn't go away. It's always there, but it's how I work with my relationship to fear. And sometimes I'm really bad at it, and sometimes I'm really good at it. But in no matter the circumstances, it's our willingness to try, our willingness to ask for help, you know, acknowledging this is really hard. I don't know which way to go. Help me put people in my path. Show me the way. I think sometimes we get so narrow focused that we miss all the beautiful things that are actually on our path, the right people. And we get so narrow focused that we're not allowed to ask for help. And that makes us vulnerable and we don't want to overburden something. But we're actually, we're, wouldn't it be lovely if we were a community and we could receive the love that was offered or the help that was offered that we didn't imagine that we were overburdened, that someone would want to do that for us. So I think you're asking whatever you believe in for help, asking the people around you for help trying to look, you know, we, we can get so black and white, but when we open the perspective and we're saying, what else could there be? There's infinite possibilities. And when I've chosen, I've been amazed at the infinite possibilities that I could never imagine that the universe has offered me. The people, the connections, my job is to ask. My job is to try. My job is to cultivate a relationship with my fear. My job is to choose love of self reminding myself that I am worth more than that, worth more than beating myself down through fear. My job is to look around me and see, other than the suffering or the darkness, what else is there? Gratitude is an interesting thing. You know, people throw it around all the time, and I used to cringe at it and get so angry because I'm like, gratitude, you just can't be grateful. I think gratitude requires an open heart. Gratitude requires presence. You can't just feel gratitude. Yeah. You have to experience gratitude. So when I say that experience of gratitude, it comes from being willing to try, of dropping into your heart space, of being present with what is, of being willing to work with your pain, of being willing to open up to possibilities that are in front of you, of choosing love. And then you can see the most beautiful things around you and experience gratitude. Mm -hmm. But this is all a practice. It's all a process. It's not black and white. It's not two plus two equals four. It doesn't happen overnight. It's an ongoing relationship that you're cultivating with yourself, with your life, and with the higher power that you believe in, whether that is the energy of love, your God, 
whatever that is. Right. And then I think one of the things we realize along that path, along everything you just explained, (laughs) is that it is the cultivation of the relationship that you just mentioned. It is the evolution of going from thinking black and white to holding seemingly opposite things within ourselves or outside of ourselves. That is right there the point. That is what we're meant to experience. (laughs) That is what we're meant to be focused on. Yeah. That is what gives us purpose. Right. I can't tell you. That's something that occurred to me during quarantine in 2020. I thought there was, there was a moment where I just laughed. I just laughed and I thought, this is so funny. This is ironic. For so long, I held on to something because it was going to give me safety. And the fact of the matter is that if I were still there, because at that time I wasn't, I had already quit that job. The fact of the matter is that no one can guarantee you anything. I would have ended up in the same place anyway. Yeah, yeah that part of my life served a purpose. I learned a lot. I get it. But when things get very simple, when, you, when we are present in our process and the evolution of, of our relationship to spirit, everything is simplified. Mm-hmm. Everything is simplified. And yet, in that space, everything else still exists. I don't know if that makes sense to you. I hope I didn't lose anyone, but there is something about all of it existing, all of it existing, being able to hold space for all of it, and yet there's still being purpose in all of it. Well, I, I feel, and I hope I have you right, but it's, it's what you're connected to. Are you connected to the system of fear? Are you connected to your fearful thoughts and focused on what's happening on the outside world that you can't control? Or are you focused on love and cultivating a loving relationship not only to yourself, but to spirit, but to the world, your world? And those are very different experiences. You know, my husband laughed at me like when COVID first started. You know, I was watching the birds nest and the baby birds and some birds died and I was watching the cycle of life and the the plants grow flowers and I would just be outside and he's like, you just live in this world. It's just magic. He's like, how do you do that? He was kind of resentful at the time. He actually put it in his book, which makes me laugh. <laughs> and I was like, to me, I have a choice. I can focus on the mundane and the suffering and the negativity, or I can focus on the magic. I can marvel at the colors of the cardinals flying past me or that baby birds are being born right now in the middle of this shit storm. Mm-hmm. I have to choose what I focus on and I have to cultivate a relationship to that or I won't make it. Or I won't be able to show up for the people I love and do the work I love, which I believe is meaningful. And I have mm-hmm. a responsibility to be in love as often as possible so that I don't recreate what I grew up in, so that I don't mm-hmm. harm or traumatize the people that I live with or come out of alignment with the people I work with. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't have a choice. I have to live a meaningful life in love as often as possible. It doesn't mean it's perfect, but if not, it will reverberate out and I will do so much destruction, not only to myself, but to the world around me, to the people who are in it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it is, it is in that space that we realize how important it is to be present 
it is in that space that we realize how important it is to be intentional about our practices and how it's not just about doing it in the way that others tell us this because I think that this is important right so how do we find solace in choosing differently okay we mm -hmm. can see life through you know through the lens of love at the most basic level we can choose to look at life through the lens of love yeah so how do we make that happen how what how can we practice it in the simplest of ways mm -hmm. this isn't something that just comes overnight there's a lot that has to happen there's a lot that has to happen within us in order for us to truly at a core level understand the conversation that you and i are having right now this there is no way that you and i would be having this conversation right now in the way that we're having it if we hadn't been attached to our stories at some point oh and then God. had to go through <laughs> had to go through the painful separation of those stories because yes. that's also important to acknowledge mm -hmm. there is pain in saying i choose not to live by that script anymore and here we are on the other side looking at other stories that we're tied to right mm -hmm. and but there is practice in in the i guess in the process of individuation from those stories mm -hmm. and the process of individuation is never easy who else are you other than your suffering who else mm -hmm. are you other than your stories who else are you other than what's happened to you? Mm -hmm. There is something else. And it's our job to find out who who are we truly in spite of what the world has reflected back at me. Mm -hmm. I had to ask that question. Mm -hmm. Who am I? Am I what they saw or am I something else? Mm -hmm. I interrupted you. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it's okay. So I will share what has worked for me. First and foremost, therapy. Group one-on-one. -on -one. It's something that has been ongoing in my life uh, or consistently going on in my life with a few breaks in between for the last, <laughs> for like the last seven years. It has been life-changing. My daily practices, meditation came into my life around the same time. And my, the practice of my meditation has changed over time, how it looks, how it feels. Uh, when I practice it, it has changed and that's okay. I've learned to, that I had to adjust to that as well. And practicing mindfulness and remaining as present as possible, remaining as present as possible with what is. And I think that recently, and by recently, I, I want to say within the last two to three years, the learning of not having to eradicate these parts of myself that I don't like, the parts of myself that are really difficult to deal with, the negative narratives, the narratives that keep me stuck in the same place, really learning to not eradicate those parts, but to welcome them, hold space for them, converse with them, create some kind of dialogue with them in order to understand them. That has just created such a shift such a shift, one that I was never aware of before. And so those are the things that have worked for me. And again, it's an ongoing thing, but I'm committed to myself. Why? Because I, in my life, overall, have never been happier. I have and make less money than I've ever made in my life. I live very humbly. You know, my partner and I don't live a luxurious life. 
a lot of people have been wanting us to get married and have kids and do all the things. It's not, it's not what we want, at least right now. I have a healthy relationship that I have had to really look within myself to be able to hold space for a healthy relationship. I have built a home, a family with my partner and our dog. That's not what was, you know, that's not what I saw growing up. My mom did the best she could. It, it, it looked very different, but there were a lot of things that I had to unlearn. So it is in that that I find the solace to choose differently. It is in that that I find the solace to step into my power when I know that it's time to. It's so true what you said about holding our wounded parts or traumatized parts with compassion, those fearful voices that are often stuck in time that haven't caught up with the present moment or realized that things are going to be okay. And sometimes we don't know that they're going to be okay. So it is a practice of having compassion for ourselves when we're scared, when we're suffering. And that compassion brings in the love. You will have a visceral experience of when you're in fear and indulging those voices of fear or succumbing to the voices of fear. And then the moment you come into the present moment and you're, oh, wow, I don't want to talk to myself that way. I don't want to scare myself that way. And you bring in love and compassion. And the visceral shift in your energy and everything in your body, it's really powerful. And it's an ongoing thing. You know, um, mindfulness is so powerful. I remember someone said to me today, mindfulness is exhausting. And I was, my answer was no, what's exhausting is succumbing to the stories in your head that are not true, that aren't even about things that are happening in the moment, about being in the future, living in the past. That's exhausting to me. When I started cultivating a relationship to mindfulness or a mindful relationship to my life, that's when everything shifted. I was paying attention to my moods, what I was feeling, how I wanted to talk to my partner, choosing my words differently with my children, with my body, with myself, with my work, everything. And it's it's not a perfect practice. I don't do it all the time. No human can do it 100% of the time. But it's becoming present and tracking. What am I feeling? What am I thinking? What am I choosing in this moment? It's, it's an empowering practice. And I think it's so important. You know, I've talked about having PTSD pretty bad and I manage it and it can come up in, in times when I least expect it. But one of the things that has helped with fear and my relationship to that is doing things that challenge my fear on a regular basis. But things that bring me joy, that's challenging my ego's limitations about what I'm capable of doing, but getting joy on the other side. And for some people, that's creative work. For me, surfing is a big thing. I can go out into the ocean and I wrestle with myself, but it's scary out there. But riding the wave brings me joy. So I do things that are good for me. Even this podcast, doing this podcast challenges all the fears I have. And also on the other side of it, my connection to Millie and talking about this work brings me joy. And so it's working with ourselves on little or bigger levels, challenging that fear and bringing joy and love into our lives, not just letting it dominate everything. We, we work with it. And when I talk about my PTSD, I'm very compassionate. It's a part of me that may never go away fully. And I know how to work with it. And I know how to strengthen myself within the realm of it or having it, if that makes sense. Yes. We begin to really see how multi-layered and how complex 
we really are in that space. And at first it's difficult. Yeah. I think when we first realize how many layers there are, I think it can feel overwhelming. But then, I mean, I like to believe, at least this has been my experience, that there's something fascinating once we we create a relationship with the inevitable evolution of our life. <laughs> and it's going to look differently and it's going to show us different things. So thank you so much for this conversation. It's it's really it's really beautiful. My hope is, is that it's empowering. Absolutely. It's empowering. There is no part of us that is coming from a, from a high and mighty place. There is no part of us that is coming from a place where we haven't experienced our own suffering and, and <laughs> haven't had to make certain decisions. We get it. But, but the intention of this podcast and of our work is to remind people of the power that exists within all of us. And that when we begin to recognize that, something happens, we, we begin to emanate a different energy, we begin to emanate a different light, we begin to people begin to get curious. And who knows, who knows who you might inspire to then do the same thing if you know what it's like. So I hope that that is what is taken away from this conversation today. And as always, thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you, Millie. Thank you so much. Have a good one, guys.